Hey everybody, sorry that we are getting to this to you a little late this week. I went to edit it the other day and found that my microphone had not been on when I recorded it the first time around, so this is round two. I would guess that many of you, like me, have been reading a fair amount about the coronavirus over the past week. Updates on infections and deaths and restrictions on businesses and restaurants and schools. And as you may know, we are in a series right now called Good News, where we are looking at what it means that Jesus is good news for this world, this place, this time. And we wanted to ask this week, once again, what does it mean to say that Jesus is good news right now? One of the things that I've started noticing in the coronavirus coverage that I've seen is that there are certain articles and podcasts that are popping up and are about things like the collapse of the gig economy that many of my peers are wholly reliant on. Articles about the hourly low-wage workers who are in the vast percentage of the American population who live paycheck to paycheck and whose paychecks stop when they don't work. And so they can't stop working. The ones estimating just how many restaurants and other small businesses whose income this week pays rent and payroll next week and who have no way of weathering this sudden, complete stop in our economy that we've undertaken. And so just how many are likely to shut their doors. The ones about the rich and the connected who get tested, and the poor who don't. The ones about the fears of what will happen if the virus gets a foothold in a nursing home, or an encampment for the unhoused, or a prison, or a refugee camp. The one I saw the other day by a queer rabbi with chronic illness, who runs a hospice and nonprofit for others with disabilities and chronic illnesses. And the rabbi was reflecting on what the healthy are really saying when they say, Eh, it's just the old and sick who are at risk, so I can go on living my life. And what those articles are saying, if we have ears to hear, I think what this virus is highlighting for us, if we have the eyes to see, is reality. The reality of the economy that we participate in and of the society that we are a part of. An economy where huge numbers of people are just barely surviving, which is easy to ignore when things are going well, but means that they have nowhere to turn when something anything goes wrong. And the reality, of course, is that this is always happening to someone. It's just now it's happening to everyone. A society that, in the name of efficiency and individual freedom, has been constructed in such a way that there's no margin when the rare but inevitable disaster comes. Healthcare is a great example of this. In the name of cutting waste and lowering costs, which usually those are good things, We've made it so that we don't have lots of extra beds or unused equipment lying around. That would be wasteful, and most of the time it would be. Except when those extras are needed, and they aren't there. Because we've decided that waste is a bigger problem than being prepared for a disaster. A society where the old, the poor, prisoners, refugees are crammed together in efficient, densely populated spaces... It would cost a huge amount of money, a huge sacrifice to do it any other way. But now, that means that the most vulnerable are even more vulnerable. This is the society that we've built. It's not the only one that could be, but it's the one that is. And this virus may be the clearest mirror we've had for a long time, reflecting back exactly what that reality is. And into that reality comes Jesus, who we have been saying for several weeks now is good news. And he is, even still. Isaiah, writing in the time when Israel's established reality had been turned upside down, and looking forward to the time when the Messiah would come, says this in Isaiah chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. 
You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born to us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority will grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time onwards and forevermore. The consuming passion of mighty Yahweh will do this. And there's lots of great stuff in there, of course. But today I want to focus in on one image that keeps coming up in that passage. The image of peace. This light has come into a dark world and it consists of peace. The prince of peace whose authority will result in endless peace for all people. There's a reference in here also of war ending, and it's common for us to hear Prince of Peace and immediately associate it with an absence of conflict, of war, because that's what peace usually means in our culture. But that actually misses a good deal of what Isaiah is saying here. Yes, of course, war will cease and peace will come in that sense, but peace, shalom in Hebrew, often points to, as John Golden Gay, our old professor at Fuller Seminary writes, a richer notion of fullness of life. Shalom is well-being, prosperity. It suggests that everything is going well for you. When God's will gets done, it results in a society marked by well-being for all. Maybe especially for the poor and the vulnerable, because let's face it, they're the ones for whom things stop going well first, most easily, most pervasively. There's more to it than this, of course, but... One marker of a society reflecting the will of God would be that things are going well for the poor and vulnerable, and by extension, for all people, of course. In this sense, the virus has done us a great service. As people who care about the will of God being done on earth, by exposing the extent to which our society is not one where things go well for the poor and the vulnerable. Whatever your political persuasion Whatever policy proposals you think might best move us towards being that sort of society, let's at least agree on this. We aren't there now. And as the people of God, we've got some work to do if we want to be. Because later in the Bible, Jesus calls back to this passage from Isaiah and others like it. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And then a few verses later, You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Those same ideas show up as in the passage from Isaiah. Light shining in the darkness, and one key component of that light being that the children of God are bringers of peace, holistic well-being, bringers of peace into the world. For people around us, for whom things are not going well, who are not experiencing the holistic shalom of God, Jesus is good news because the followers of Jesus are committed to bringing peace into the world, to seeing to it that things are going well 
for people. This has lots of long-term implications, even, dare I say, political implications, not necessarily in supporting Democrats or Republicans, but in supporting policies that correct the inequities that we're seeing all too clearly today, policies that would make it possible for all people to experience peace, to have a sense that things are going well for them, and that that peace is not teetering on the brink of disaster at all times. But today I want to bring things more into the short term. How can we be bringers of peace into the world around us this week, this month, in the midst of this crisis? How can we show those around us that Jesus is indeed good news, even now? Now, first I want to say, we don't have to fix it all. We don't have to bring all the peace right now. God has been working on this plan for the shalom of the whole world for thousands of years. And if God's willing to be that patient, then I think it might be okay with us if we are patient too, taking some little steps. So when we've said that we hope for Pomona Valley Church to be a group of people following Jesus into the world together in a way that's joyful and sustainable, and in a way that fits in our real, actual, everyday lives, well, these are our real, actual, everyday lives right now. And so we want to keep bringing peace to the world around us in normal, everyday ways, ways that fit with the situation we find ourselves in. Some of those ways are going to look the same as always, and some are going to have to be tweaked a little bit, given the circumstances, but we can still follow Jesus into this world together. Our hope is that the life that we've started building together as a church, the culture we've started to shape together, that that can still function in this new reality, even if slightly different in some ways. And the reason we hope that is because our values, they are shalom-seeking values. The value of openness to the Spirit of God and what God wants to do in us. Because the Spirit of God is always working for the holistic good of the world God loves and always inviting us to be a partner in it. In January and February, we talked a lot about rhythm of life, a tool we use for openness that just refers to the practices and habits that help us to do everyday life with Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but my practices and habits are kind of all up in the air right now. Some I can keep doing, others I can't, because my schedule is completely different right now than it was two weeks ago. Every time we've talked about a rhythm of life, we've stressed that it is seasonal. The practices and habits you need in this season are not necessarily the same as the one you needed a year ago or the ones you'll need 10 years from now, and that's as it should be. If you weren't with us, uh, previous podcasts from January and February from the Rhythm of Life series has more details about what we mean by rhythm of life, and we can link to those on Instagram as well. So maybe this week you need to take some time to reassess. What season are you in right now? What practices and habits just don't fit anymore and need to be let go of or paused for now? What new practices do you need to add? I'm not usually one to be stressed or anxious. That's not just part of my personality. And so my usual rhythm of life doesn't typically include many practices that lean into that sort of thing or addressing that sort of uh, challenge. The other day, though, I noticed, gosh, my neck is just kind of tight. And I'm feeling really tired and not in a coronavirus-y way, I don't think. And I realized, oh, I'm showing signs of stress in a way that I'm just not used to. And so probably in this season, I'm going to need to build some practices like breath prayer or like the prayer practice we did last week into my rhythm of life for this season where I can stop for a few minutes, 
because I don't have hours. I have a few minutes and reconnect with the reality that God is with me, that I don't need to be holding it all in and holding it all together. So that's for me. But maybe there are some adjustment, adjustments that you want to intentionally make in this season too. Then we have the value of diversity, of honoring the image of God in those who are different from us. When I honor you, I see you and I listen to you and I let your story influence mine. And when I do that, I am better able to seek your good, your shalom. Now, this is in some ways harder in the time of social distancing, but we can still be listening to and reading the stories of how this crisis is affecting those who are different than us. I mentioned some of the things I've learned by doing so uh, just a few minutes ago. Now, it's really easy in times of crisis, especially when isolation and fear are a part of the crisis, to take shelter in the safety of others who are just like us. I think being people who want to bring holistic peace into the world around us means that we need to be extra intentional in times like these to counteract those impulses, to seek out the ways that those different than us might help us to see things we would otherwise miss, might help us to see opportunities to bring peace that we might otherwise miss. Then we have the value of authenticity, of bringing our real imperfect selves to God and to others. Now, this might mean being willing to say, I'm scared, or I'm lonely, or I need help, which invites you to receive someone else's care, their peace bringing for you. Already, there's a lot of noise about how to win at self-isolation or homeschooling or being prepared. But if I'm performing on the internet to try to win, that's going to crowd out my ability to receive and offer holistic peace. Now, I'm not on social media, so I'm hearing this secondhand from Meredith, but she says she is uh, getting really tired of people who are trying to win at being really deep about what all this means. Maybe we can just go through this crisis as ourselves instead of performing. The value of relationships, of sharing our lives with one another and engaging in the messy togetherness of it all. Now, for some, it might have gotten quite a bit more messy as you are literally more together But for our friendships, our extended family, we have to face the reality that this is going to be virtual for a while. Although a couple days ago, Meredith and Christine did talk doorway to sidewalk in front of Christine's house. And we've had some good conversations across the front yards with our neighbors. But even so, as important as it is to slow the spread of the disease and therefore to stay away from others physically, it's also crucial that we not become relationally isolated. There was plenty of loneliness around before we all got confined to our houses. And I want to encourage you all as followers of Jesus who want to bring peace into this world at this time, get in the habit of texting, calling, FaceTiming, put it on your calendar, find ways to connect with other people. And if you are lucky enough to be confined with other people that you love, be a little extra gracious to them as you're stuck cooped up for the next couple of months. Give a few extra hugs. Let's see if we can use this time to create some new or stronger relational foundations, ones that can be built on once we can be physically proximate again. And then finally, the value of sacrifice, of living open-handedly with our resources and letting go of our own way so that others can flourish. Some of those ways that we can bring peace that we have been talking about here, they're gonna be harder in this next season. They're going to take more time. They're going to take more of our already scarce reserve of patience or mental energy. And we need to do them anyway. 
There's a lot of bland, anodyne, be a good person messaging out there these days. Let's all be nice to one another and survive this crisis together. But the difference for us as followers of Jesus is that sometimes we follow Jesus in the way of sacrifice. We pick up our cross, as Jesus put it. We sacrifice so that others can experience shalom. Following the way of Jesus, who sacrificed so that the world could experience shalom. I think that's the decision that we make as we consider whether to follow Jesus or not. Do I trust that his example of walking the road of sacrifice will actually, paradoxically maybe, be good news, not only for me, but for the world around me? I think it is. And I think the world around us, this world in this time, when it sees us sacrificially loving through the worst thing that many of us have seen in a very, very long time, if ever, will know good news when it sees it. So how is Jesus good news when the world is upside down? Because he's our peace and his followers are peace bringers, joining with God in the work of bringing holistic well-being into the world around us, turning it right side up again. Our next podcast is going to be an exercise that Meredith led us in to consider how we might be peace bringers in this season. Thanks for joining us. Take care of yourself, and we'll see you next week.